Following is a class given by His Holiness Jayapataka Swami Maharaj on July 30th, 1992 in Mathuradesh. The class begins with a reading from the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 18, verse 22. Yatu Kritsnavade Kasmin Karye Sakta Mahai Tukam Atatta Vadalpancha Tatamasam Udahitam Translation by His Divine Grace Shalaisi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. And that knowledge by which one is attached to one kind of work as the all-in-all, all, without knowledge of the truth, and which is very meager, is said to be in the mode of darkness. Purport the quote-unquote knowledge of the common man is always in the mode of darkness or ignorance. Because every living entity in conditional life is born into the mode of ignorance. One who does not develop knowledge through the authorities or scriptural injunctions has knowledge that is limited to the body. He is not concerned about acting in terms of the directions of scripture. For him, God is money. And knowledge means the satisfaction of bodily demands. Such knowledge has no connection with the absolute truth. It is more or less like the knowledge of the ordinary animals. The knowledge of eating, sleeping, defending and mating. Such knowledge is described here as the product of the mode of darkness. In other words, knowledge concerning this thus ends the Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada translation purport to Bhagavad Gita chapter eighteen verse twenty two in the matter of renunci- the perfection of renunciation. <clears throat> in this chapter Krishna explains how knowledge is in the mode of goodness, passion, or ignorance. How action can be in goodness, passion, and ignorance. How various uh, eating and so many different things can be done 
all in accordance to the three modes of nature. So, in the first, uh, previous two verses explains that according to the three different modes of material nature, there are three kinds of knowledge, action, and performer of action. Now hear of them from me. That knowledge by which one undivided spiritual nature is seen in all living entities, though they are divided into innumerable forms, you should understand to be in the mode of goodness. If we see that there's one absolute truth, Param Brahma, and that Param Brahma can be seen, represented in all living entities, that all the living entities are the part of that spiritual nature. So then, that vision, we see that everything is connected with everything else. So this is in the mode of goodness. Now, in the world, you know, there's a very high concern about the ecology. Recently in Rio de Janeiro, there was a big world summit on ecology. Of course, summits always turn political, but the underlying discussion was that the world's resources, natural resources are being destroyed by the greed, industrialization and so on. And as a result, we're actually ruining the environment that we live in, so that in the future there's going to be more and more problems. Just like now, if you go to Australia or South Africa or South America, if you go in the sun more than an hour, you can get, uh, if you're light-skinned, you'll get sunburned very fast. And you can very easily get a skin cancer because the ultraviolet rays of the sun are not being filtered out because there's a ozone layer on the earth and there's a big hole in the ozone layer due to the misuse of natural resources and use of certain chemicals which go in the air which create this problem. So sometimes people are blamed. Sometimes the intellectuals now, they're blaming that certain ideologies, certain theories and philosophies and ways of life have contributed to this. Recently, for instance, in Europe, there was a show so that people are complaining that India or Nepal and the third world, Bangladesh, just has too much population. Is going to be overcrowding? But then uh, this uh, very clever person, he showed on the TV, on his uh, movie, because something like 90% of the consumption in the world is done by about uh, 25% of the population of the world. <coughs> Mainly Northern Europe, I mean Europe and America is consuming everything. So they're showing how... If a person wants to eat in the West, he's going to the... Because you're living here in a modernized place, and you go to the supermarket, you buy the things 
is packaged up, so it's got so much uh, paper and everything. Energy goes into that. You're driving over to the to the uh, supermarket. Supermarkets are there. Then it flashes over to a village in uh, Nepal. Some people living in a by the mountainside. He goes out in the field and he picks out his sabjis, his vegetables from the field. He's not creating any ecological balance. There's no uh, smog coming from the car. There's no waste uh, plastic and thing coming from all the food. He's just going there and he's uh, growing it. And then it goes like that through the whole person's life. And it shows how the Westerners, they are consuming so much. They're wasting so much. And that even though here's this uh, family in, in Nepal or India... <clears throat> and actually, although there may be so many people, they're not actually causing any burden on the earth. But the actual burden is being caused by the uh, the modern way of life is creating a much bigger burden. So they're trying to say, <laughs> this is actually produced by a Westerner. So there was a, a, quite a surprise for people. So time times, uh, there's a lot of propaganda about this ecology and everything. And what I wanted to get to, actually, the point, was that now these intellectual people, they came to understand that the Krishna conscious, or not even Krishna conscious, but in general the Vedic viewpoint, the Eastern viewpoint, where everything is uh, one absolute truth and everything is coming from the absolute truth is such that uh, that naturally makes a person feel responsible not to destroy nature unnecessarily that it's all connected that if I create some harm to nature that karmas will come back to me but in the western ideology they don't think about karmas they're just going ahead so the actual way of life, the knowledge that we're living by, that will also produce a certain result. So they're saying that the modern problems we're facing are due to a wrong ideology. That simply someone is thinking, how I can make profit, how I can be comfortable, how I can enjoy. Let the world go to hell, let my everything go to hell, but let me be happy. Bas. So that is ignorance. Very clearly in the Bhagavad Gita, it says this is knowledge and ignorance. And if one has a knowledge that, no, whatever I do, I have to take the reaction that will also affect others. I should act responsibly, think of my family, my society, the whole world, because everything ultimately is coming from one source. It's not just a theory, but they have the, that vision. So that's in the mode of goodness. In between that, you have passion, where then someone say, thinks nationalism, or you got capitalism, or communism, or some more different types of theories are there, which are also, but more for profit, but is thinking of in a little broader sense than ignorance. So that's in the mode of passion. So generally the world is in passion and ignorance. Very few people have this vision of goodness. But now there's a very big wave because 
of whatever reason, various reasons, that now the people have come more to the mode of goodness. Because the world is, they see that uh, we're going to destroy our environment to such an extent that even human beings will have to suffer so much. So the intelligent people are forced to face the facts that we have to act in a more responsible way. But when they try to get the Western people to adjust to this, nobody wants to adjust because they have been trained up in the wrong way. That whatever we do, it is do for our comfort. And by what Gita is saying in this verse, that's ignorance. You see, the, the sorry, sad thing is that here in, uh, in Asia, many of the people are trying to imitate the West blindly. When even they themselves admit that they don't have the perfect system. They got a lot of problems. So rather we should, the whole world, not East, West, wherever it may be, we should try to understand the science of Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita here is telling us there's different types of knowledge. Goodness. Goodness means it's good for everyone. It's for the welfare of everyone. Passion means me and mine against you and yours. Passion means that we take a certain block of the people and we work for them either and we seclude, exclude others. This is called passion. And ignorance means that very limited. Either we only thinking of ourselves or we're not thinking of anything very clearly. I think I gave the example about uh, different kinds of uh, people get knowledge in different ways. That how the king, he gets knowledge by hearing. Just like a king or head of state, how does he know what's going on in his kingdom? He's got his intelligence department, he's got police, he's got spies and so on. And they tell him what's going on. He can't personally go and ascertain everything. So he has to get information and then he has to evaluate that information and accept it to, to whatever extent is. So he understands things by hearing. This is the great thinkers. They can see history, they can see the situation, and they can anticipate, okay, this could happen in the future. Just like our weathermen, they have got a certain amount of data, and based on that, they say, okay, it's an 80% chance of rain today, or it's a 30% of a cyclone coming this way by radar. When they actually see the thing as they're on the radar screen, that's the final stage. But if they can anticipate that this environment is going to create this type of situation, then that's another higher level. So those who can think ahead, that's another type of knowledge. Then you have those persons who actually know from the Shastra. Apart from just seeing and experimenting and anticipating, they know from the Shastra what is the truth, what is the reality, so they can get the broadest vision. Then you have the fourth kind of person. They only know that something's going to happen when it happens. They don't think ahead, they can't anticipate. 
Like some people, they're anticipating, I could get sick, this can happen, they get insurance policies, they get... Some people, they don't think anything. When actually the danger hits them in the face, then they worry, oh, what do I do now? And then it's too late. So, we need also to ascertain what is actually the purpose of life. What do we come here for? What is our objective? How can we achieve real uh, progress in society? So Krishna has in Bhagavad Gita given advice which is useful for society, for family, for the individual. These particular verses are individually applicable. They're applicable to a family, to a community, to a nation or to the world. Today the world, or say in the past, the world had been exceedingly preoccupied with just getting comfort for each country. So passion and ignorance was very prominent. Now there's more of a global, they call the global village. Thinking of the world as one big village. So that means it's tending a little more towards goodness, seeing in a broader sense. So all these principles that you can see, in everyday life, you can remember, oh, Bhagavad Gita said the same thing. Because actually we should have followed Gita from the beginning. So this is one of the ways we can remember Krishna all the time. If we regularly read the Bhagavad Gita, then we can see how to apply different things that we encounter in our daily life how we can apply our Krishna consciousness to those circumstances. And how do we want to get knowledge? We want to wait until the danger comes and then we have to face? Or are we going to take some anticipation, take some advanced precautions? Actually the Vedas tell us that we should find a bona fide guru we should be under the shelter of a spiritual master. We should uh, engage in devotional service under his guidance and proceed in, in that way. But that way we are secure, we are safe. But sometimes people, they don't think that, uh, well, what do I need a guru for? I can figure it out myself. The problem whenever we try to do things only on our own, we have to also take all the responsibility. But if we follow the instructions of Krishna, then we are under Krishna's shelter. So Krishna advises us there are three things we should use to guide ourselves in terms of spiritual guidance. This is called Sadhu, Shastra, and Guru. The examples of great devotees, their lives, their teachings, the words of the scripture, and the specific instructions of the Guru, and how he's applying the scriptural advice. These three things, Sadhu, Shastra, and Guru, they always are confirming each other.
What the scripture says, the Guru is explaining. The Guru is always speaking from the scripture. Scripture describes who is the bona fide Guru. The Vaishnavas are living uh, their life according to the scripture, so they're showing the example how to do it. So you should remember these three points, Sadhu, Shastra and Guru. Everything we do, we should check and counter check. Because there are very strong laws, very strong laws of nature. And we're all bound up by the different laws of nature. And even by our very hard struggle, we are not able to completely get out from the laws of nature. When Hiranyaksha was killed and his uh, family members were lamenting, Hiranyakasipu was preaching to them that they shouldn't lament over the temporary body. And he told a story about uh, Yamaraj. That one time there was a very great king and he was fighting in a battle. But he got killed in the battle. So he was lying in the battlefield. uh, He was dead. His body was lying there. He had all the helmets and the gold jewelry and everything. So his queens, they came and they were crying that, you know, our husband was so strong, he was such a great king, how cruel is the law of providence. Now he's lying here in this battlefield dead. Who's going to watch over us? How what's going to happen? How could he go like this, like that? So they're lamenting so many things. So according to the Vedic custom, at, before the sun set, the body should be cremated. But these queens are not letting the body go. They're just crying. So Yamaraj, he was seeing the whole circumstance. So he came and uh, personally decided to preach to them. So he took the form of a very small boy. And first he walked up to these uh, queens. And look, he just started talking to himself as a small boy. Ari, how unusual it is. Look at these elderly people. They're all like, like my mother's. Uh, they're all very elderly people, but they're just uh, crying like anything over that, uh, which is no use to cry over. I mean, I... I am just a small boy and uh, I don't have any mother or father to protect me. I had to wander here or there, but we are always uh, believing that Krishna will protect, so we're not feeling any fear. But uh, how funny it is that uh, here these elderly people, who they all know that uh, life is temporary, their great-grandfather has passed away and maybe their grandfather is gone and Thousands and millions of people, every day they're being born and they're also dying. So everyone knows that we come from an unknown place and we're going to go back to the same unknown place. It is part of life. 
They're still there lamenting and saying, oh, he's gone. So by this time, all the queens are, who is this little child speaking all these things? When a child speaks philosophy, it's very attractive because you don't expect a child to say such philosophy. So Yamaraj took a child form to get their attention. So when they were, then he said that, he started directly addressing them, that my dear queens, why are you acting like a foolish people? You're lamenting over this, uh, your husband, but actually that body that you've known is here with you. Only before that you would talk to the body and it would reply back, it would speak. So you have the same body while you're crying? Because actually you don't know who the real person is. You never saw the real person who made that body alive. That person came, now that person is gone. The Atma is gone. So you're lamenting, body is still there. What is the use of this body? This body was only the shell. The real person you don't know. So that's, so you should understand like this, and he was explaining so many things. So then, uh, in this way, their illusion was broken, and they could see where so much uh, absorbed on this bodily platform, and the body itself is not at the final thing. The actual, real substance is the self, the soul. So then they. Uh, Give up that uh, illusory attachment. So although this body is temporary, the people are taking it that this body is the all in all. They're working their whole life how to take care of the body. Their body the bodies of other relatives and community members and so on. So we have to also take care of our body. We're not saying don't take care of your body. But the point is, if we think that is the only purpose of life, then life becomes a very painful experience. Because this body will sometimes be healthy and happy, and sometimes this body is going to be sick and old, and infirm. So just like the body is a source of pleasure, this body is also a source of suffering. So if the only happiness we know is based on what we do with this body, then nobody is always going to be happy. They have to suffer. Because nature of this body is dukaloya. It is a place of suffering. This whole material world is a place of suffering. Agama payo nityas tangsataiva taktatisha sabarata. It comes and goes, sukha dukada, happiness and sadness. 
So when people are happy, then say, oh, by the mercy of Krishna, I am so happy. Thank Krishna for being making me happy. And then when something happens, misfortune, then we say, oh. Of course, that's a pious person, he says, by the mercy of Krishna. But even the pious people, when something misfortunate happens, then they say, oh, why Krishna has forsaken me? The tendency is, we only expect the one side. The more passionate person, he said, oh, I am happy because I worked very hard and I earned it and this is my profit and nobody should try to take it away from me because it's all mine and there'll be more, I'm going to make more also. But when they are put in the suffering, the person in the pure goodness, he'll say also, this is Krishna's mercy. I could have been much worse. I could have suffered so much more that Krishna reduced the suffering. This is the nature of material world is suffering. So let me become more fixed in Krishna. For the person in uh, passion, they say, why am I suffering? Why should I suffer? And they become very angry or resentful sometimes, lamenting can go also to ignorance, madness, illusion, frustration. There came in the paper some eight-year-old boy, he committed suicide, they say, because he was facing so much pressure from the parents. Get higher grades, higher grades, you have to study more. Why you're not studying? So much pressure that the boy, he just took his uh, school uniform, the tie, and he tied himself and hung himself. Age of eight. Too much stress, couldn't take it. If a child of eight years of old age has to commit suicide because of overstress, then where is society going? Stress we expect when we get in the older life. Eight years of old, so much stress, age, so much stress. In Japan, they commit hari-kari. They don't get into the university of their choice, sometimes. So, <clears throat> these are basic problems that people are facing. And sometimes the people think that, okay, I got the solution. They don't, so they, if they could stand this apart and see the whole situation from a broader perspective, then the problem itself becomes much more in perspective. It becomes much more easily resolvable. You can tolerate it, you can deal with it, you can cross over it. And sometimes by Krishna's mercy, automatically the problems also become reduced. Even if they don't, the devotee's ability to cross over the problem becomes enhanced. Ultimately, the point is that we are not independent. We are not the controllers of our own uh, fate completely. We can only control a certain degree. Ultimately, it depends on Krishna. Someone may be having so much uh, wealth, but they may have ulcers, 
They cannot eat or diabetes. So it doesn't mean that if just because somebody has a lot of money he can eat, maybe sometime uh, farmers may eat more or they have a healthier, but he is a very poor man. They said, uh, Iskan has circulated that movie, Ayi Zindagi, what's that? Ayi Zindagi. Ayi Zindagi. You saw that? <laughs> it's a Hindi film, but they somehow they they put English subtitles and uh, circulated that on the Iskand TV network. It's about how one uh, one man he was working in uh, as a cook in some sweet shop and uh, showed that he had, he'd go home and his wife was very devoted. She had a Krishna deity, had a little pranami box and she's putting the pranami in every day and uh, she's praying and all the f- children, everyone, they're coming together and taking the meals and they're doing the bhajans and, and then, uh, but that uh, husband was ready, he wanted to really get ahead or something. So one day he said, what is all this? My wife's putting all the money in the pranami box. So he opened up the pranami box and he was uh, stealing the money. And his wife caught him, what you're doing, you took from Krishna. And he said, okay, I, I'll, I'll give it back twice, you know, I promise. So you have to promise before, I promise before Krishna. I'll pay him back. So then... Uh, he invests his money, and uh, he be some very big fortune. He be, he got, buys a sweet shop, and then his sweets are very popular. And he gets a bigger shop, and it's bigger. Pretty soon, he's got like a big hotel, and he's sitting at the uh, you know how the hotel they got the guy at the cash register that used to be the owner would sit there, the set you know, and then he'd be handling the cash, and all the other people are all the employees are working. So he's got now his big shop, and then that went and he became... Uh, so then at uh, around that period, one day all of a sudden, uh, Krishna appears to him. And he says, well, what, do you, what do you want? He says, I want my payment back. Nice <laughs> 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 I said, what do you want your payment back? And, and the guy, he procrastinates. He said, well, I'll give later, not just now. He says, you know, as interest is building up, you have to pay. <laughs> and uh, this goes back and forth. Krishna he frequently comes and sees him to get his payment back. And he's, uh, so as this person is getting wealthy, then he goes on a higher level. He starts setting up multinational corporation chains of restaurants or something, he goes and shows them flying on here and there, and now he's got a huge mansion, and he's got servants, and his daughter is going riding horse in the back, and now they have a table that's about uh, 30 feet, but now nobody wants to eat meal together, they come in, everyone's very proud, uh, the daughter yell, you know, the son argues with the father, and everyone's, uh, nobody... 
And then the wife is like, we were so happy before when we were living in a simple way. Now we have all this opulent thing, we're not happy. And uh, then uh, the daughter falls down and has some illicit uh, connection with the uh, horseman who's training her to ride horse. And they run off together and get married. So then out of caste marriage, he's completely frustrated. His son gets a, he becomes a drug addict, drug addict, I don't know, some other problem with the son. And he, so like the whole thing is, you know, then he's got the ulcers, all so much stress, and he's lying in bed and he's sick. And then Krishna again comes to see, so what's happening? And then he looks and he sees he got, he's got teramycin, streptomycin. <laughs> said, everything is my sin, my sin. <laughs> it's a cute, it's a very cute meme. <laughs> so then finally in the end, he said, okay, I surrender. He gives him back the money and at the same time, he said, I surrender. I, you're correct. Because Krishna told in the beginning, you can take, but without me, you won't be happy. He said, no, no, if I have this, that I'm not happy because I don't have enough this, I don't have enough that. So then he kept on getting more and more, and then finally he saw everything falling apart. So then he surrendered to Krishna, and he became happy. So that's a, that's a funny movie they have. But actually that movie was taken from the Puranas. There's an old Puranic story like that. Many people offer to Balaji donation. They say, I'll give you back. You give me, a, you give me money, and I'll give you back uh, so much with interest. So there's a story in the Puranas like that. They adapted that to the modern day. So anyway, the point is that we should see what is the karma, what is the work that we're working under, and then come to the higher spiritual perspective. The Prasudama, he was a friend of Krishna. He was also very poor. His wife was always uh, pestering him that you should go to your friend Krishna. He's the richest person in the world. He's your friend. He'll give us uh, you anything you want. We're so poor. She said, no, no, how can I ask Krishna for anything? He's my friend. I'm not... Uh, but she kept asking. So one day he thought, well, let me go see Krishna. And that time he borrowed some... Uh, begged some chira from some people's house nearby, and then he wrapped it up in his dhoti and he went to Dwarka. So when he got to Dwarka, he thought that he saw all these big palaces and so many people, hustle and bustle, big city, and here I am just a poor brahmana, whether Krishna will remember me or not, whether I'll even be able to see Krishna, I came all this way, but... He's so great, and who am I? Who am I to be able to see him? He'll forget you. But as soon as he got to the gates, all the gates are opening, and the doorkeeper said, Please, Krishna is waiting for you. And he went right into through all the different gates, and there he was in the inner chamber of the palace where Krishna was waiting with Rukmini. And then Krishna went and embraced him, and then Krishna said, look at you're a brahmana, so I have to serve you, I'm just a kshatriya. Krishna was playing the role as a kshatriya, although he's the Supreme Lord. So he sat Sudama Vipra down and bathed his feet and Rukmini was fanning him. Then they sat together and they had a long chat, so tell me how have you been, 
how is everything? And so, yes, you know, I had to live here in Dwarka because all these asuras are always attacking me, so I just built a city in the sea so they don't all come all the time and uh, disturbed. And they're like, they're just having their discussion on different things. And then Krishna says, so what have you brought for me? And then Rupasudama had brought that chira, which they used to enjoy together when they were, they were god brothers in the ashram of Sandipani Muni. So he thought, I'll bring Krishna some chira, but when he sees all Krishna completely marble floor, Instead of they have uh, jewels in the wall that naturally glow, you don't need electricity. He sees all this opulence. So what is this ordinary chira I'm going to give Krishna? He's got such a nice, much better things than this. So he said, no, I don't have anything uh, worthy of giving you. No, no, what's this you brought here in your cloth? This must be for me. Then he forcibly opened it. He said, no, 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 don't take it, don't take it. It's not. Because no, anything that's my devotees, it's good enough for my devotee, it's good enough for me. And he took one bite, he took second bites. Oh, my favorite, Chira. You don't know how much I like this. And he's going to take a third bite and Rukmini grabbed his hand. He said, what? He said, please don't take another bite. So why? So you already took one bite means I had to give him the opulence of all the world. You took two bites means I had to give him opulence equal with you. If you take the third bite, that means that since he gave you more than he had, he had to beg from outside his own asset to give to you, I had to also give him more than you have. Right? That's impossible. Because everything is you. You are the sum total. Everything is coming from you only. There's nothing more than you. So I'll be put in a very difficult position. So here's Sudama Vipra. He could never ask Krishna for anything. Because he just had so much love for Krishna, he just was never able to ask Krishna, just take it, I want this, if you have some money for me or something, I'm poor. He could never take it to that level. It's his, he was so happy that Krishna was his friend and he had, he loved Krishna so much that he could never ask anything. And Krishna was so grateful that my devotee is giving me this love and affection. So this is worth more than anything in the world. Where can you get a true friend, a true love? So Krishna, how can I tell him, I'm going to give him some palace and some money and things. What are these things? They're, they're insignificant compared to such friendship that this my devotee is giving me, such a love he's giving me and devotion. So although his plan, he was already given a big palace and so many servants and money and everything for his... Uh, Upkeep. He never told out of shyness. He could never tell his devotee because it is an insignificant thing. Krishna took it as insignificant. What is money in this world? Nothing. Compared to having this pure devotion. So Krishna was so grateful that he gave his devotee. Without asking anything, he gave him so many auspicious items. So when Viprasadama, he was going back home, he just was remembering how Krishna was so kind and he embraced me and we are talking and how wonderful Krishna is. And Then as he was approaching to where his house was, he said, it's all changed, what happened? 
what are all these big trees here? What's all these gardens? And what's that big, what happened to my little cottage? What happened to that big, uh, what's now this big house there? And he sees, who is this lady coming? And so many attendants. And he said, then he saw it was his wife, but now she's dressed in all opulent clothing. What is it? You gotta turn over. The automatic reverse is not working. So that love that Krishna had for his devotee was so great, the devotee had for Krishna. And when Vipusadama saw that, oh, everything is transformed. My wife is now so beautiful, she's not skinny anymore, and so many, all these things happen. And immediately he knew this is all Krishna. Krishna did this. But then, being a true devotee, he didn't think that Krishna gave me this, so let me reject it and throw it away. Neither he thought that Krishna gave me, now let me just enjoy this. Rather, he used all those things, okay, let me use this for Krishna's service. So the devotee accepts whatever Krishna gives in due course, if it can be useful for Krishna's service. But for the devotee's own sake, they don't need. So this is the wonderful vision of Krishna consciousness, where we see that everything is coming from Krishna, Everything is, should be given to Krishna, to the Supreme Lord, used in a proper way. And this way one can actually be always uh, very peaceful, very happy, and achieve the real eternal happiness that we're actually hankering for. Sometimes we get so absorbed in the problems that we don't see that there's another solution which is much broader. We just see the immediate problem and immediate solution. There's a story about a boatman who was pulling his boat up by the side of the river with a rope. And he's pulling and pulling and he's thinking, when I sell all my goods, I'm going to eventually become rich. When I become rich, then now I'm pulling my this board on the side of the river and my feet are hurting so much, sometimes thorns are going in the feet, it's painting. So when I become rich, I'm going to put mattresses along the whole side of the river. So when I'm pulling my boat, I'll be walking on a very soft mattress. I'll pretend next to my devotee now, that devotee will just take the money and he'll become uh, absorbed and uh, he'll misuse it. He's not ready yet for that. So then Krishna has to purify the devotee through various experiences. So that's why even if some misfortune comes, the devotee takes it, this is Krishna also training me. Training me in patience, training me in a proper perspective. This also type of purification. So that whatever, finally whatever Krishna wants to give so I can serve him nicely, I won't get distracted. If we take as our goal in life, we want to reach Krishna, 
we want to do the pure devotion to Krishna. We may have some material desire, so in order to get to that point, we have to also experience certain things in the material world. But we want to do it in such a way that we can eventually get back to Krishna. We won't get stuck up anywhere. So accordingly, Krishna will give us the experiences, good and bad, and eventually bring us to His lotus feet. We have to keep focused that our goal is Krishna. For that reason, we need to chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, 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 Krishna Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. But that's not the only reason to chant. Apart from that, if we chant, we are getting directly the association of Krishna. Because Krishna and His name are not different. But this chanting will bring us to Krishna, this chanting also is Krishna. In the Kali Santana Upanishad it states, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Iti Sodasakam Nam Nam. These sixteen names, Kali Kalmashanashanam, they destroy all the contamination of Kali Yuga. There are so many mantras in the Vedas. But those mantras are not especially designed for Kali Yuga. So they don't destroy all the mayas of Kali. But this Hare Krishna Mahamantra is specially given for Kali Yuga. So our main chanting should be Hare Krishna. We may have other chants also, Bhajans or other mantras we like, which Guru may permit us to chant. But the principal chanting should be Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Just like here in uh, Oman, if you want to dial India or America or anywhere, you have to dial the international direct dialing code. <laughs> Someone told me it is zero zero. <laughs> nine one is India. Zero zero nine one, yes. Four four four, Madras. <laughs> 812 for Bangalore. So you dial the international code. STD, ITD, IDD. Here's ISD. IST. And ISD. So you do the ISD, and then you get uh, connected to your desired number. So we also, we need to direct, you have to direct according to the some circuitry, so that will go accordingly, it will reach the, the proper line. So that our devotion gets properly directed, we also need the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's the one who is given authorization to chant the holy name and he'll bring us to Krishna. So we dial that ASD code. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Siyadraita Gadadha Siva Sadigor Bhaktavinda. Then we do the main number. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. 
Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Now we are connected with Golok Vrindavan. So some people, they want hotline. You can just pick up the phone and you can get, you know, big officer or something. But here you have hotline with Krishna. You just dial your ISD code. What's that? Uh, internal, uh, I have to see what the initials mean. <laughs> you dial as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's names. And that takes us, <clears throat> prepares us directly to communicate with Krishna through His holy names. And we chant Krishna's names and then we're in connection. So we maintain that connection that purifies us. That makes the darkness, the light makes the darkness go away. We may say, how will I get the darkness to go? There's so many problems. I have to solve my problems before I can chant I have to solve my problems before I can be a devotee. I have to get rid of all this darkness. It's like some man was looking in the dark, he's looking with a lantern. And someone says, what are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for the sun. I'm looking all over the whole night, I'm looking, I can't find it yet. Sister, you don't know, you don't need a lantern. When the sun comes, it lights up the whole world. Actually, if we have Krishna, all the darkness goes. But we're thinking, how to get rid of the darkness? I have to get rid of all this darkness. But if Krishna is there, the darkness automatically goes. Itai go, Actually, this is uh, practically seen if we go from the ancient histories like the Mahabharata. Of course, Pandavas had to face so many difficulties, but in the end, uh, these difficulties they appreciated because again and again they were brought back to Krishna. Even difficulties came, they would go to Krishna and Krishna would save them. And so those moments of getting Krishna's help and Krishna's association became highlights of their life. Much sweeter than even the problem that was the external impetus for going to Krishna. Then they were remembering how Krishna had saved them in so many circumstances, how Krishna was always their friend. And they end that then they became more and more attached to Krishna than how Krishna was really their dearest. To the point that when Krishna was leaving Hastinapur back to Dwarka, then Kunti was offering him prayers. And said that, do we put our, I mean, we're put in so many difficulties, but every time we went to you and you saved us. So be, by Bipada, we could get your association again and again. But now you've given us, now we have the kingdom, no more Duryodhan, no more of the hundred brothers, uh, 99 brothers of Duryodhan, the sons of Dhritarashtra, no more enemies. We have they got the complete Anna, uncontested uh, empire of the civilized world. So much opulence, everything is happy. And now you're leaving us. Going back to Dharaka. So by Sampada we're losing you. And by Bipada we are gaining you. If that's the criteria, then uh, let there be more Bipada. We want you. 
Of course, it's not that uh, you have to have Deepa to have Krishna. Krishna again went, that's what Rathyatra is, he went back again to be with the Pandavas at the solar eclipse. Krishna doesn't have to only come and be part. If we are so stubborn, we won't surrender to Krishna unless there's danger. Then out of his causeless mercy, he may put us in danger. But when Bali Maharaj was arrested, his wife said, actually my husband was too puffed up, he was too proud, he thought it was all his kingdom. So he said, uh, very falsely proud that he'll give you but actually, what was it his to give? Everything is yours. So he was too proud that he would give you, therefore you had to humble him, show him uh, this lesson, so that's your special mercy on him. But then Krishna interjected, Vamanadev, Trivikram, he said, don't think that the only way you can get my special mercy is I have to take things away from you. But some people are afraid if you worship Krishna, he'll take away from you. Those people who have really my special mercy, I don't take anything from them. And even though they have so much opulence, but they never think that, uh, they never get falsely proud with that, they always think that this is all blessing of Krishna, and they use it like that. You should know those people who may have so much good fortune, but they are never intoxicated by that. They are always just using it in a proper way, and also using for the, my service. That those people are, I got my very special mercy. Those are the prayers that really have my mercy. And this is a secondary mercy. This is not the topmost mercy. That I have to humble them and then give back. Of course, Krishna, if he takes away, he gives more than what he takes. That's also the thing. It's not that Krishna only takes. If he takes, he gives more than what he took. Bali Maharaj, he had a dangerous uh, kingdom. All the devas are plotting all the time, planning how to get rid of Bali. So sooner or later, he's going to have to face so many problems from the devas. Although temporarily he had defeated them, he was in charge of the heavenly kingdom. It was not going to be a very peaceful reign. Indra and all the devas, they're going to go on waiting for any slight defect on Bali's part, they'll immediately attack. So actually, when Bali had all the land taken by Trivikram, then he asked, uh, "What you offered me three steps of land, where do I put my third step? In the first step I took the whole world, second I took the whole universe. So what else you have to give me? Third step, where will I put? You promised me three steps. So then Bali bowed down and said, put your third step on my head. I give myself to you. So then, although he was arrested for not giving uh, the three steps, then finally, Vamanadev uh, said, I'm going to give you your own planet. And that planet is going to be more beautiful and opulent than heavenly planets. But that planet, I'm going to personally protect it so that they won't come from other planets 
and attack you. So you don't have to build up a big army because I'll personally protect. And I'll live with you. So Bali has a Sutala, which is a better place, no, no danger, no enemies, completely peaceful in this world, as much as you can be. And he is really peaceful because he has Krishna there. So Krishna gives more than what we want, more than what we can expect. But we have to, if we give to Krishna, then he'll reciprocate and give us more. So that's the training we need to train our minds to go from tamas, go from rajas, and come up to the pure goodness. How do you do that? How can you change the mind? This is where the chanting comes in. Chanting automatically uplifts the consciousness and brings it to the pure goodness platform. Any question? Krishna says in the fourth chapter of Bhagavad Gita that I spoke this message to the Gita. This message of the Bhagavad Gita to the sun god. Hmm? Well, what else did Krishna say? Then why again he has to speak it? Yoga Nashta Parantapa. The supreme science was thus received through the chain of disciplic succession, and the saintly kings understood it in that way. But in course of time the succession was broken, and therefore the science as it is appears to be lost. So Krishna was speaking again, because that original parampara from sun, God had been broken. So there is Krishna is re-establishing. So Vyasadeva wrote down the teachings of Bhagavad Gita. Vyasadeva's guru is Narad. Narad's guru is uh, Brahma Dev. So Vyasadeva wrote down Bhagavad Gita, preserved it. Sanjaya is a disciple of Vyasadeva. He should see the whole Bhagavad Gita, speaking the Bhagavad Gita to Dhritarashtra. So Vyasadeva wrote it down and now we have Bhagavad Gita. And that Bhagavad Gita was further handed down from Vyas to the disciplic succession. Is that all right? Whether he instructed to Lord Brahma or to Sun God. <coughs> it's a different point altogether. Krishna may not have spoken the Bhagavad Gita to Lord Brahma. He may have spoken that to Sun God. But he's given other teachings, he's given Bhagavad the four 
verses of Bhagavad, which are the basis of all the spiritual instruction, which is even higher than the Gita, that he gave to Brahma. He revealed to Brahma so many things in the heart. The same teaching of Gita was revealed to Brahma in the heart. This guy Brahma gets a realization by from the heart. He didn't have to also hear it. Krishna plays the flute and automatically Brahma hears that mantra and if he gets the knowledge automatically in his heart. But Krishna is saying, I incarnated and I spoke this to Sangat. Sangat is actually the origin of Manu. And from Manu comes the mankind, Ikshvaku. So this is a more direct, you see, Brahma is a totally higher level. And from his showing the chain, how it came to the earth planet. The previously saintly kings would follow this principle also. There's a four Vaishnava Sampradaya. Brahma, Rudra, Lakshmi and the Kumaras. Which are still existent. There may be others also that are broken, that were existing before. Just like uh, Rishabh Dev, he taught his sons. So there was a disciplic beginning of the disciplic succession. But his sons were following it. But now there's no bona fide succession coming from Rishabh Dev. But the Jains, they claim that they're coming from Rishabh Dev. But we don't accept that their philosophy is a pure representation of Rishabh Dev's philosophy. Because Rishabh Dev was uh, preaching knowledge of God, but the Jains don't have any knowledge of God. So something got missed in the, in the chain. So there may be so many chains which have got broken. Yoga Nashta Parantapa. But four chains are there still intact. And at least uh, this uh, Brahma Madhva Sampradaya is still intact. Every time avatar comes like Kapila came, he taught Sankhya to his mother. Like this for some generations, may have been handed down even for thousands of years. But that happened millions of years ago. Now where is the succession coming from Kapila? We have the knowledge in the Vedas, but that strict disciplic succession we don't find anymore. On this planet, you find? So like so many... South India, we have the story of uh, Ayyappa. That is uh, Ariharaputra, they say. The son of Shiva and uh, Vishnu went, uh, came as a Mohini. But it is not in the scriptures. So, what is the basis for that? It was there. It's a big controversy. We're following, we follow the Shastra. So, for us, it's a difficult position. Unless there's some Shastra. It's hard for us to officially accept. It's certainly it's not in the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam shows that Shiva ran after Mohini and he, uh, at that time, there was but uh, no connection was uh, there between him and Mohini. And uh, other pundits also, there is nowhere that they find that mention that.
there was a connection. Maybe there's some hidden Shastra somewhere. But so far, we've not been able to locate. This Dasavatara, what actually the strangest it is, ten avatars includes Buddha avatar also. Whereas the sticker of the Bangalore we have got now, it is having not Buddha, but Krishna avatar is there and Balrama avatar is there. Asya, Kurma, Varaha, Vamana, Balrama, Sri Rama, Parshuram, then uh, Krishna and Kalki. Whereas actually the scripture is Krishna is not avatar, Krishna is the origin. And avatar includes Buddha avatar and then Kalki. So whether Balrama, Balrama is the avatar and whether Buddha avatar is, was there or not, or Krishna is avatar. So we are getting confused. What exactly it is the Dasa avatar? Dasavatars is a song sung by Jayadev Goswami where he glorified ten avatars. Ten avatars that he found prominent. And he glorified that they're all coming from Krishna. Jai Jagadisha Hari. He composed this song in Jagannath Puri to Jagannath, Jagadisha, Krishna. So Krishna and Balaram, there they both came in Darpa Yuga. Balaram is also expansion of Krishna. A Buddha came in Kali Yuga. He's a partial incarnation. Shaktavish. But in Bhagavatam it mentions the 24 avatars. 10 avatars, just Jaideva. You know, stotrams are usually ashta, ashtams or dasams. So he did a ten stotra. So he did dasavatar, stotram. If you go more than ten, it becomes, doesn't become a stotram, then it becomes a sanghita or something else. So he composed like that, ten avatars. So now this has become the standard. Everyone thinks there's ten avatars. So you look in dictionary, Krishna, eighth avatar. Krishna is avatar or it is? If you if you go by Webster's dictionary, is that the authority? <laughs> Mr. Webster is the Vedic authority. Bhagavatam is there, first canto, first part. SB 1 1, oh, single volume, all in one. Chapter 3 Krishna is the source of all the incarnations. So here are the different incarnations that are mentioned. First is the Kumaras, then the Baraha, then Narad, then Naranarayan Rishi, then Kapila Dev, then Dattatriya, then Yajna, Rishab, ninth is Pritu, tenth is Matsya, eleventh is Kurma. Twelfth is Danvantari, thirteenth is Mohini, fourteenth is Nushinga Dev, fifteenth is Vamana Dev, sixteenth is Parsuram, seventeenth is Vyasa Dev, eighteenth is Ramchandra, nineteenth is Balaram, twentieth is Krishna, twenty first is Buddha, twenty second is Kalki.
Then, after mentioning so many different verses, then also it explains avatara yasankyeya hare satva nidhir dvija yata vida sinakulya sarasasyu sahasrasa O Brahmanas, the incarnations of the Lord are innumerable, like rivulets flowing from the inexhaustible sources of water. A list of incarnations given herein is not complete. It is only a partial view of all the incarnations. There are many others such as Hayagriva, Hari, Hansa, Prishni, Garba, Vibhu, Satyasena, Vaikuntha, Sarvabhoma, Vishwakshena, Dharma, Setu, Suddhama, Yogeshwara, Brihad Bhanu, and others of the bygone ages. That means that tape is ending. There's a little switch in the back. It says, alarm on off. You can switch it off. My Lord, you manifest as many incarnations as there are species of life, namely the aquatics, vegetables, the reptiles, birds, beasts, the men, demigods, etc., just for the maintenance of the faithful and the annihilation of the unfaithful. You advance yourself in this way according with the necessity of different yugas. In the Kali Yuga you have incarnated garbed as a devotee. So this incarnation Lord in Kali Yuga is Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But that doesn't mention by name here because they don't, it's given in a hidden way in many places that he comes in Kali Yuga. But because if it's very clear, then people want how he's coming as devotee, even so he's avatar. How he can be a devotee. So after all this ex- description, then it says Rishis, Manus, Devas, descendants of Manu. These are also plenary portions or portions of plenary portions of the Lord. Also Prajapatis are a type of incarnation. Then all these different types of incarnations, Ete, Changsa, Kolapung, Sang, Krishna, Stu, Bhagavan, Swayam. Chapter 3, verse 28. Indradi Vyakilam Lokam Ridayanti Yuge Yuge. All of the above mentioned incarnations are either plenary portions or portions of the plenary portions of the Lord. But Lord Sri Krishna is the original personality of Godhead. All of them appear on planets whenever there is a disturbance created by the atheist, the Lord incarnates to protect the theists. So, avatara asankhyaya means innumerable. Like waves coming in the ocean or rivers coming from the big river. You cannot put a limit. Krishna is the origin of everything. But Krishna, chronologically He appeared in Dharpa Yuga. But he's, they're all eternally existing in the spiritual world. It's just like, we may send one, okay, you go and see the children, what they're doing over there. You come back, then you say, you please go. Then we ask, Venu, you go and see. So because he went first, that means he's the father of all the children. We're all sitting here, but they're making some noise. He may have gone third, but he was uh, maybe the parent. 
Krishna is uh, all the different Krishna's incarnation. So he may say, okay, Baraha, you go first, and this one go, then I come later. Oh. I said, uh, they're all eternally existing. They, the world is created and annihilated. During that time of its uh, manifestation, different avatar may come. That doesn't mean who's the top. Someone may come earlier or later. That's a not very uh, essential. There's no bearing on their position. How can you separate? There's only one Supreme God. Jesus is talking about loving God. He's saying love Jesus. He's saying love Krishna only. They say Jesus Christ. The word Christ, according to the etymologist, comes from the word Christus in Greek. And Christus comes from the word Christo or Krishna in Sanskrit. So Jesus of the Christ is the original. So Jesus of Krishna. The Jesus, son of Krishna. Son of God. Krishna and God is just a synonym. It's a great prophet. Why not? He's telling people to surrender to God, isn't it? Islam means to surrender to God. We're also saying surrender to God. They, they, Lord uh, Chaitanya used to, he convinced uh, people on the basis of Quran that in the Quran there was a lot of bhakti is mentioned there. But most people don't follow that part of the Quran. They don't understand. It's very esoteric. But he had memorized the whole Quran and he would preach from those verses. And in Chaitanya Charitamrita Madhya Lila, the different topics which he had uncovered in the Quran are mentioned categorically. So if sometime we get some very good scholar of Quran, they could work, go with us and, and each of those categories help us to locate all the verses that fit within that philosophy. Like he said, within Quran, it talks about surrendering to God and serving Him selflessly in love. Such things. So then, where are all the verses which say that? You see, when Lord Chaitanya was preaching to those peers in, uh, in uh, UP, he quoted the verses. He knew them. But those were not recorded by the Vaishnavas. They just recorded a topic. That he quoted verses that said this. He quoted verses that said that. So now we can have someone go. And those people admitted, what you're saying is all true. But nobody, you're only giving us this understanding that how is the proper way of uh, practicing. But before this, 
We know those verses are there, but no one could explain them. You're explaining them now. Now we understand. Yes. Well, he claims to be son of God. He should be the best authority to say who he is. If he says he's son of God, why should we make him a father? That's the problem, you see. Sometimes the follower wants to make the master more than what he says himself. But uh, then it loses the whole glory, the whole wonder that he sacrificed so much as uh, being a great devotee. If you say he's the Lord himself, then it changes the whole perspective on it. You see, father and son is not different. Because son is also connected with the father. They're one on the absolute platform. At the same time, there are some higher differences there also. That the father is uh, never under the illusion. But son may sometime be under illusion or may sometime never uh, be liberated. Our son is not in a complete view of the whole picture, but he depends on the father. So that example of complete dependence and surrender is something really wonderful. But if you say someone is God himself, then it loses some of the charm. Anyway, that's a side issue, but from our point of view, we will just uh, take what... Uh, how he describes himself. Since he said he's son, we take him like a Shaktavish avatar also, like a son of God. So, Prabhu, an avatar is not, he's a messenger of God, not an incarnation of God. No, avatar is an incarnation, but incarnation is the English word, we call avatar. Avatar means to descend. But incarnate has a different meaning to it in English, but uh, we use it because it's the only word that's available. Incarnation literally means the Lord. He comes down on His own spiritual power. He does His activity, then He goes back. He's not any. He doesn't have any permanent connection with this material world. So someone may eternally reside in a spiritual world. These are called the direct expansion of the Lord. Portion or plenary portion. The Lord, if He comes Himself, He has all the potency. Just like there might be the ruler, He may have an oldest son who is the crown prince. Some problem, He may send a crown prince. So He's also got the royal power. 
but maybe not 100%, but 90% he's got. But some problem may be so grave that the full royalty has to solve it himself. It's a very crude example, but Krishna can partially expand himself, and that partial expansion can go. Or he can fully go himself. Or he can empower that here's a great devotee of mine, let me give him my power and empower him to do this work. How many verses uh, Sai Baba? Is he another? We don't find that degree of power with him seems to be some accomplished person who appears to be showing some mystic power. One doesn't have to be an avatar to show some mystic power. Even a yogi can uh, show mystic powers. Magicians can also make it look like a mystic power, although it's not actually mystic power. So give or take prasad. Prasad is here. Mita, take a path here. Somewhere, anywhere. Anyone else? When it is said so clearly in Bhagavadam, that uh, Krishna to Bhagavan Swayam, how is that uh, uh, in Sri Shambhadaya that uh, Ramanuja Jarya has uh, authorized uh, Krishna, uh, Vishnu as Supreme? Ask them. <laughs> no, it is also coming from Sampradaya, poor authorized Sampradaya. It's coming from Lakshmi. Lakshmi is the consort of Narayan. So up to her knowledge she's teaching. Narayan is also supreme. But Narayan is coming from Krishna. That she may not know. They give up to their knowledge. So Narayan is one of the forms of Krishna. They're not seeing it. So we take it as a detail. That is close enough that uh, we respect them. They say Narayan is the original, Krishna is the uh, avatar. We say uh, Krishna is the original, Narayan is the expansion. But uh, we both say that all the, all the Vishnu form is not different. So we take it as a detail. If you can get that close, you're not far off. But amongst ourselves, then we'll discuss. You see, Krishna is very difficult to understand. He's very esoteric. He's a very human-like. So they have a hard time understanding. But uh, isn't it, uh, they, uh, they also give a scripture backup for their, uh, for their, uh, yeah. 
What excuse they give? What is? What is their excuse? That uh, we are worshiping Vishnu. Uh, uh, how is that you are claiming Krishna as supreme? When uh, from Sri Sampradaya they are also giving the backup of uh, with uh, Sadhu Sastra and Guru that uh, Vishnu is supreme. We accept Vishnu is supreme. Vishnu and Krishna is not different. But Krishna is the original. The question is, which is the original form of Vishnu? Vishnu is supreme. So which is, who is the original form of Vishnu? That's the question. But Bhagavatam says uh, that Krishna is the origin. Don't waste time arguing with people who are not open. <laughs> expansion may be in the spiritual world. Expansion means to expand. Incarnation may be expansion or may be empower. Expansion means directly coming from the Lord. <laughs> 